and uh, tell them it's good to see you in the house of the Lord. And then you may be seated. A couple of weeks ago, we began talking about scriptural priorities and what they should be in our life and how that scriptural priorities should take the precedent in our life. The, the Word of God gives us God's plan for our lives and how we should live our lives. Uh, oftentimes, uh, humanity, including us, the sweet saints of God, tend to put things in our lives uh, in greater importance than what the Bible says are important things or the, the things that we should put uh, first in our life. And last week we concluded uh, the first of the scriptural priorities uh, in our lives and that was seek ye first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Jesus was very clear that in life uh, there's pursuits that we, uh, that we go after. There's things that we pursue. There's there's, uh, uh, and Jesus went through a, a list of them. There's, there's uh, housing and clothing and food, and, and it's the necessities of life. It's the things of life that we put a priority on and that we spend and invest our time pursuing these things. And Jesus says you don't have to. You don't have to worry about that, but if you would seek the kingdom, that he would take care of those things. And then this morning we're going to uh, start uh, another scriptural priorities. Now, the, this is not the second one behind Seek Ye First. Understand that uh, all of these are on the same level in, in, uh, in humanity, in our lives. When we say something is first, that means something else will be second. Uh, the first in each one of these lessons does not necessarily indicate their rank or their order, but it is their importance that God says that these things are equal in importance and that we need to uh, put them in equal importance in our life and not allow other things to take that place. The second thing that we're going to talk about, or the second part of this, is to be reconciled to thy brother. Be reconciled to thy brother. Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 21, is a... Uh, an interesting scripture setting. Jesus is speaking uh, to us. Uh, Jesus is talking here and he says, he's telling the Jewish people, you have heard uh, that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. In other words, that person would go in front of the courts. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever shall say unto his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Now there's a lot to be said there. We're going to go over that scripture in just a few minutes. But he continues on by saying, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. Notice he did not say if you have aught against your brother, but he said if your brother has aught against you, leave there thy gift before the altar, go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Jesus make it an incredible, incredible statement here that in the kingdom of God, the most important thing that you can do 
first you serve, uh, you, you seek first the kingdom and first be reconciled to your brother. This is a very difficult, this is a very hard Bible study, not only to teach, but it is a very hard Bible study to practice. This is a difficult part of the scripture to engage in our lives. Nobody likes to reconcile with their brother if they have been wronged. Notice Jesus didn't say uh, that if you were the one that had the grievance, but if, if, if your brother uh, has ought against you, if you have hurt somebody, if you have caused somebody pain, then you are the one that needs to go and reconcile with your brother. Jesus puts in the place of importance before you come to the altar with your gift, before you offer your gift, before you offer your talent, before you engage your relationship with God, any further than you're at right now, the first thing you need to do is reconcile with your brother. Make sure there's no ought. Make sure there's no grievance. Make sure there's no uh, contention between you and somebody else. Your relationship with God will get stymied. It will get bogged down. It won't go any further. How many powerless people in their relationship with God exist simply because they refuse to let go of a grudge or let go of a, of a, of a hurt or they refuse to be a re reconciled with a brother? The, just this morning... Uh, before service in our pre-service meeting, uh, Brother Murphy was sharing a situation with the church that happened back in the 60s. And it was not even in this state. It was in the very, uh, one of the most northern states in the, in the uh, United States. Uh, but he was aware of this church situation where there was some contention that rose up in the church. And, and people in that church literally brought guns to church in case it got out of hand. Boy, that's the love of Jesus, ain't it? If you say the wrong thing, I'm going to pop a cap in you. It's just that simple. That's not God. He went on to say that even to this very day, even today, there's families that were a part of that that don't speak to each other because of something that happened in the early 1960s. Now, I'm not real good in math, but if I'm not mistaken, that's over 50 years. Or right at 50 years ago, I don't know exactly when in the 60s this happened. But it is incredible that people have held on to these grudges and these offenses. And they wonder why their relationship with God is cold and stale and mundane and, and just as ordinary. Jesus said, before you can offer your gift. Before you can offer yourself, before your relationship with God moves forward, make sure that you reconcile with your brother. As the children of God, we all have the same desire, and that is to com com uh, complete and to do and, and to obey all of the commandments of God. And we all understand that. We all want to do uh, what God wants us to do, but we need to realize that we have to do them in the order that God desires us to do them in. It's not just good enough to do the commandments of God, but we need to do them the way God wants us to do them, not the way we want to. If you'll remember, David 
One of the major mistakes that David, King David made is when he went to get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it to Jerusalem. He had great intentions. He had a noble idea. His, His desire was perfect. His desire was great. He just didn't do it the way God said to do it. You remember David had a cart built. They put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. And they were driving the cart down the road and they hit a bump in the road. And a man named Musa reached back because the Ark of the Covenant started wobbling. And he didn't want the Ark of the Covenant to fall over and be damaged. He didn't want one of the little angel's wings to be broken off of the mercy seat. So he did what any of us would have done. He reached out to stabilize it. Just grab it and keep it from falling. And God struck him dead. Musa died that day. Because you would think that he was doing something noble. The ideal was fine. The commandment was great. His his desire was perfect. The problem was he wasn't doing it the way God said to do it. The Ark of the Covenant was never, ever intended to ride on a cart. If you'll remember in the book of Exodus when God gave uh, uh, Moses the commandments of of the tabernacle, he said you put staves in it so that it can be carried on the shoulders of the priest. So they were, David was in, pure in his intentions, but his, his method was wrong. And in serving God, we have to understand we can have pure intentions, but we have to also serve God the way God wants us to. I hope you'll listen and hear that. So God says in the book of Matthew that if you want your relationship with God to move forward, you have to be reconciled to your brother. There are things in life that come up that we think is first place in life. I know somebody that has just been a couple of weeks ago made a comment that now that their their career is on path, they went to school for a specific career and and they've been devoted, they've been devoting the last several many, many years uh, to their career. And now that they've kind of reached uh, where they want to in their career, now they're ready to, uh, to start devoting some time to their ministry. Well, that's putting the cart before the horse. <laughs> Seek first the kingdom, put God first. So we need, to, uh, we need to understand that there is a method and there is an order which God uh, desires us or wants us to live for Him. We have to make sure that it is not us that makes our priorities in life, especially when the Word of God gives us such clear commandment and such clear ranking on what the priority should be. Jesus says, before you make your sacrifice, be reconciled to your brother. It's a number one priority. In the scripture setting that we read today, Jesus is contrasting the Old Testament or the Old Covenant Uh, of not killing uh, to his New Testament or the New Covenant concerning our brother. They had heard the law taught them not to kill. Understand the Jews have been told all their life. How many of you have ever heard the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not kill. Does anybody in here believe that killing somebody is wrong? Well, at least four of you believe that. I don't want to eat supper at the rest of 
kind of reminds you of the story about the lady who was at the funeral of her third husband. Somebody walked up and said, this is your third husband. And she said, yes. And they said, well, what happened to your first husband? Well, he passed away. Well, how? Well, he ate poison mushrooms and died. Well, what happened to your, sex, your second husband? He said, she said, well, he ate poison mushrooms and died. And then the person said, well, I guess your third husband, he ate poison mushrooms and died. She said, no, he died of a gunshot wound. He wouldn't eat the poison mushroom. But they had heard that killing was wrong. And so Jesus approaches this subject. We all understand that killing is wrong. We all understand that. So Jesus approaches this being reconciled with your brother commandment under the uh, under this, this umbrella of thou shalt not kill. They, everybody believes that. We all understand that. So there was no argument. There was no fuss. Understand what Jesus is doing. He's taking away their defense uh, right off the bat. And he says, I know that you've heard thou shalt not kill. But then he says this word, but I say unto you. Jesus is now adding. So he got them on common ground. He got them in a place where everybody agreed. And then he established a new covenant with them. He established a new commandment with them. And he said with this, I, I, I want you to understand we're not going to kill. And thou shalt not kill. But I'm telling you, this is Jesus. This is God speaking and coming out and telling us a new, profound, and different way to deal with our brother. It's not good enough anymore just to not kill him. Boy, that's great English right there. It's not good enough just to say, I don't kill people. But Jesus is saying, okay, you're at this level. Now it's time to get to this level. We're going to take a step up here, folks. And he begins this this dialogue saying that being angry with your brother without cause places us in danger of judgment. All throughout the scripture, anger is condemned. Anger is not justified. But it, and it seems to be with Jesus a very serious thing when we are angry with our brother. And if you are angry with, our, with your brother or a person without cause, then you are in danger of judgment. The word brother in this text goes beyond just what we consider family. It goes beyond our blood binds. So you can say, well, I'm not related to them, so then the Bible says I can be angry at them. No, it doesn't. When it says brother, it's the same context that Cain uh, made to God. It's the same verbiage that Cain made to God when when God asked Cain, where is Abel? He said, what am I, my brother's keeper? Yes, Cain, you are your brother's keeper. We are responsible for our brother. And Jesus is saying that if you have a brother or if you have a fellow human being, this was a, there was a revelation a couple weeks ago in one of the Bible studies I teach. Uh, there was a, uh, I was talking about Cain and Abel, and the person said, uh, Do you, it just dawned on me, we're all related. We all come from Adam and Eve. You can move up a couple of uh, hundred years, a couple thousand years, and realize we all come from Noah and his wife also. 
We all have common blood. We're all related. We are truly all each other's brother and sister in blood. It, is, it may be separated by many generations or whatever, but at some point we all share the same family. So we are brothers. And Jesus is saying that your brother is somebody that you should not be angry at, especially without cause. But then to say to your brother, Raka, Jesus said that this would bring you into, uh, into danger. It would bring you into danger. And in, in that day, it was the danger of the council of the Sanhedrin court. Uh, Jesus is trying to show them that when you uh, call your brother Raka, that you're in danger of going before the Sanhedrin or being judged by those around you. It's a very serious matter. So what does Raka come from? Where does it come from? It is a Greek word that means, oh, empty one, worthless. It's a term of, other, of utter vilification. According to Vine's dictionary on New Testament words, it is a word of utter contempt, signifying emptiness and intellectually rather than morally. In other words, you aren't worth nothing. You're empty. You're void of any value. Nothing is in you that is any good. It is a vilification. You are worthless to anybody or anything. And when you tell yourself or tell other people that, you're in violation of the word of God. And apparently when Jesus, when he, re, when he said this, he regarded not just our speech, but he regarded our attitude about it. It's our attitude that we get about other people when we think they're worthless. When we think they're of no value, when we think they are empty. And Jesus say it, says it, that, that, that you are in danger when you develop this mentality, when you develop this, this mindset. And we understand that anger is oftentimes unexpressed. It's unexpressed. And the word rack is a time when we express those feelings. But Jesus, in the context of the scripture, is both dealing with not only expressed feelings towards somebody else, but also unexpressed feelings. It's your mindset. When we think that people are worthless. Has anybody ever felt like somebody was worthless before? I got to spend some quality time with my boss man this past week. We had to travel out of town for a couple of days, and while driving down the road, we exchanged all the stories and all that stuff. And, and uh, he began to tell me about uh, a young lady that he knows that married a guy that was worthless. We all know people like that. Boy, that person, that is the most worthless human being. They do blah, blah, blah. They won't do blah, blah, blah. This scripture is saying, be careful. When you start thinking, even if you never express it, you are allowing yourself to get into a mindset, into a mentality that Jesus is saying is dangerous. 
it is hard. <laughs> but you don't understand, Brother Merrill, so-and-so is a piece of trash. Have you ever heard that? They're trash. I've had people tell me before, they don't deserve to live. Be careful. When you allow yourself to start developing a mindset, when you're going to put your, yourself in a place, when you're going to determine that people are worthless, understand, regardless of how you feel about somebody, regardless of what you think about somebody, regardless of how they've acted, regardless of what they've been or what they have not been, it is never in our best interest to assign their worth to them. God died on the cross for them just like he did for you. I know it's a hard statement. I know it's a hard statement. Because there are people that don't live up to what we think they should be. But it is never, it is never given to us. And Jesus saying in this scripture setting, when you say that somebody is worthless, Jesus died, he shed his blood for them also. And so in a, in a roundabout way, I guess you could be saying to Jesus, you wasted your blood on him because they aren't worth it. And we never, never get to that mindset. Never get to that mindset. And then Jesus at the end of this statement goes a little bit further. And he says, in the beginning of the statement, he says, don't be angry. For you're in danger of judgment. Don't call somebody worthless or empty because you're in danger of the council. But then he says, saying to our brother or calling somebody, thou fool, places us in danger of hell. In this context, in this scripture, the word is used for hell and this is talking about the place of everlasting punishment. The word fool in this, in this scripture setting here is, is even worse than the word raka, meaning the word fool meaning one who is godless, who is a moral reprobate. The word fool comes from a Greek word moros, meaning dull, stupid, head, uh, heedless, a blockhead, or absurd. According to Vine's dictionary, Raka scorns a man's mind, while Moros, or the word fool, scorns his heart and his character. Jesus said that when we get to the point where we think that somebody is stupid, heedless, absurd, where uh, they are godless, where they are moral reprobates. When we start passing that judgment on somebody, we ourselves are in danger of hellfire. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of people that have ever done these things. Because none are perfect. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And oftentimes I... Go back to the, the lesson we taught a couple weeks ago about you reap what you sow. 
And uh, a lot of times people in their life that have sown these things have reaped them and now realize the error of their ways. I heard a story uh, a while back about a preacher who was a pastor of a, uh, of a medium-sized church. He had two or three kids that were absolute heathens. You know, the little five, six, seven-year-old boy, I mean, just wild as an Indian. And there was notes that started getting placed underneath the pastor's door anonymously. They were never signed, but always about how bad his children were. Your child was running in church tonight, and I saw it. And your child is a bad example for the other kids. And your child this, and, and always... About once a week, he said, he would get a note under his door from this anonymous source in the same handwriting that was always talking about how bad his kids were and how he should punish them. You need to spank them more. You need to put them in time. You need to get control of your kids. Well, they had a wedding in their church, and there was a lady that had been a not been married before, had no children, and she was kind of older, not older, but uh, was not very, and still in the youth of her life, I'll say it that way, and uh, she got married, and uh, wasn't long, and man, they shared the glad tidings that this lady was expecting, and she wound up having two or three kids, and it was two or three years later, this lady asked for an appointment with the pastor, and his wife, and so they did, they met with her. Now the pastor's kids by this time are teenagers. And so they met with the lady and she said, Pastor, I have to come to you and apologize. Now this lady's kids were heathens. See where the story's going already? She said, Pastor, I have to apologize to you. She said, for years I would leave notes under your door trying to tell you how to take care of your kids and how to discipline your kids and how horrible your kids were, but I was so uneducated. I, was, I had no experience with children. I didn't realize that you can discipline them and you can uh, try to correct them and they will go right out and do the very opposite thing that you think they're going to do. I mean, anybody that's been around kids long enough knows that you can discipline them for something and turn right around and they'll go right back and do it again. And she said, I have to apologize. I have reaped what I have sown. And so now her kids were heathens, and uh, he said secretly he gleaned a lot of, of joy and happiness out of the fact that every time he looked up, she was chasing one of them kids. Uh-huh, I bet you won't leave a note under anybody else's door. But Jesus in this, con in this, in this scripture text, in this concept, is saying that we have to be careful when we do these things, and if we have done them, then we need to go reconcile with our brother, it's without question, Jesus is trying to bring us to a higher level. The Old Testament for the Jewish people when Jesus was talking had not brought them to this place. As long as they didn't kill our brothers, as long as they didn't kill somebody, then they were okay. But now uh, Jesus is trying to tell them, let's step up. Let's step up a little bit, a little bit more. And Jesus, in the dispensation of grace, is laying on us a greater demand. Uh, to go beyond refraining from just physical murder. Go beyond just physical murder. But, but, but to say that anger 
and Raka and calling him a fool, it violates the, the very principles that Jesus is teaching us and is his Christianity and the mentality that gets to that point endangers our very soul. Understand, uh, there's this uh, Brother Murphy several months ago or even over a year ago taught some incredible Bible studies on Wednesday nights and if, and if you uh, make a habit of not being here on Wednesday nights, you miss a lot of, of great Bible teaching and and uh, so you should be here. I'll just make that little plug real quick and move on. But he talked about character assassination. It's not enough just to, to not assassinate somebody physically, but there's character assassinations. I was talking to somebody yesterday morning about a person and a deed that had uh, a, a situation that, that had happened as so over 15 years ago in this person's life. It was a horrible deed. Yes, it was. And God is restoring that has restored that person and is restoring their their image and stuff like that. And I thank God for that. I really do. God is incredible along those lines. And I told this person, I'm sure there's somebody that's going to bring up all of this past that happened so over 15 years ago. Understand, please understand, it is not our right to assassinate people's character. I know this is a hard Bible study. I know we'd rather be laughing and joking and having fun. But please understand, we have got to reconcile with our brother. If you have a grievance, if they have a grievance, let's get over it. I got a couple amens, but it's true. Whatever has happened, let's let, let's let it go. Can we start new this morning? Can we start new this morning and say, you know what? I know something about so and so. I know last month. Last year, 15 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, they did such and such. But when that person, and you have opportunity to talk about that person, or, or that person comes up in conversation, please don't assassinate them. Don't assassinate their character. Say something good. You remember the old saying, uh, mothers used to tell their kids, if you can't say anything good, say nothing at all. Don't assassinate people's character. Jesus is telling us it's not just good enough anymore. Not in this dispensation. It's not good enough not to physically kill them. But don't spiritually kill them. Don't mentally kill them don't kill their character don't kill who they are Jesus pro provides for us a, a, a series or a sequence of how uh, we should uh, take care of these things if we have hidden and unexpressed problems with our brothers Jesus tells us what we should do first before we go any further in our walk with God, before we can go any further in our relationship with God. In this scripture re uh, reference, in the scripture setting we read, Jesus is telling us that there's a man that comes to his altar. He comes to the place of sacrifice. He comes 
to the place where he is born again. He comes to the place where he gives himself and other things that he possesses to God. And upon approaching God, he gets to the foot of God. He gets to the place where him and God are going to meet. And he has his gift. And he gets to God. And, and when he gets there, he remembers uh, that there is a uh, situation between him and another person. He remembers that there is a problem between him and somebody else. And, and what does he do there? And then God tells him that before uh, you continue any further, there's a direction I want you to go. There's a path I want you to take. And that is, I want you to leave your gift right where it's at. I want, and it's not that I don't want you to give your gift. It's not that I don't want you to give your talent. It's not that I don't want you to give yourself to God. But there's a problem here. And he tells us to leave it there. Stop sacrificing. Stop the sacrifice. That is a hard concept. We like to bring ourselves and we like to sacrifice to God and worship God and praise God. And I'm telling you, you have the right to do that and you should do it. And I'm not saying don't. But Jesus says if you have ought against your brother, stop. There's something more important than that sacrifice. And that is to go be reconciled to your brother. It's the first thing that we should do when we remember that we have a brother that has ought against us. Has anybody ever been offended? Has anybody ever offended anybody? Now there are some people that just raise their hand and I just don't see that. Y'all just way too sweet and kind and loving and all of that to ever offend people. But it does happen. You remember Jesus said it is impossible, but offenses do come. It's impossible that you go through life not being offended and not offending other people. That's an impossible task. So when they come, what do you do? Reconcile it as early as you can. You remember the Bible talking about the roots of bitterness and how they grow? Do you realize that most plants don't shoot down roots that are very deep in 20 minutes? Except in my flower bed. The flower beds at my house are the only place that an oak tree can go from an acre to a foot, two foot tall oak tree overnight. If I wanted to grow an oak tree, it would never grow except in my flower bed. Bitterness is the same way. As bitterness begins to spring up, if we can take care of it, then. Rather than waiting 10, 15, 20 years down the road, then it becomes a task to get rid of it. When a uh, I have my neighbor has an oak tree and those little and I don't know why they grow so pro prolifically in my yard, but but every now and then I'll find these little oak trees about this tall with four or five little uh, leaves on them. And I've used this illustration before, but you can walk right up to it and grab it and just pull it right out the ground. It's not very hard. I can get the boys to do it. Micah, he's five. Come over here and pull that up, and he'll pull it up, and the whole little root system and everything comes up. But 40 years ago, there was a little oak tree growing in my neighbor's yard. Nobody pulled it up. Now it's about that big around. Now you can't pull it up. Now you can get rid of it, but it is a time-consuming, effort-involved, expensive project. 
understand that the offenses that come in life, if you will take care of them early. Bless God, so-and-so made me mad this morning. Ooh, I could wring that scrawny little neck. I've heard that before. Could wring their neck. Well, before the sun goes down, make that right. It's a whole lot easier uh, to deal with if you make it right then than it is to wait. In a year, you'll see them again. Still can't stand them people. Five years, I hate them. Ten years, you're seething in bitterness, and they're over there, la, 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 happy as a lark. I think I've told you this story before. I'll tell you again that there was a situation where I had a grievance with somebody for, for many years. And one night I felt like God instructed me to get that right with this, this particular person. So the next time I saw them, I told them, I want to bury the hatchet. I've been holding a grievance and a grudge for years and it's not justified and went through this long deal. They looked at me right in the face and said, I had no idea. I was like, man, you know, that's a revelation. For all the anger that we boil in. They don't even know. So it does you no good. You're not hurting them. Jesus gives his commandment. First, be reconciled to your brother. First, be reconciled to your brother. Before you present your gift to God, be reconciled to him. There, go, go make things right. The word reconciled here comes from a Greek word uh, meaning to change thoroughly. To change thoroughly. There's something that seems to happen in this confrontation that changes the existing conflict to a friendship in this word. When this word uh, reconciled is talking about, when Jesus is using this Greek word that is translated reconciled, and I won't attempt to pronounce the Greek word, but when he's using it, he's saying that the conflict gets changed to a friendship. I've seen people that get into fights over something. And I mean they're out there just slinging fists. I mean spreading gravel, as they used to call it that, or cleaning the fence row. And when they get done, the next thing you know, they're best buds. Well, they reconcile their differences. Now, <laughs> I am not advocating that you go reconcile your differences by trying to beat the, the tar out of somebody. But what I am saying is the principle is the same. If you'll go reconcile with them, sometimes you'll realize that you gain a friend. You lose an enemy and gain a friend. Brother Merrill, there's no way I'd ever like that person. You might be surprised. It shows an awful lot of maturity on your part when you reconcile with somebody. Kids don't do that. You call my mama or whatever. 
Well, I'm taking my toys and I'm going home and I'm never going to speak to you again. That's brilliant. You're five years old. The problem is in adulthood we do it the same way. We just change the word. Well, you called my kids such and such or you said something or you hurt my feelings and bless God, that's it for you. Brilliant. It shows your maturity. You're, and I'm sounding harsh. I'm, I don't mean to uh, understand. But that lets you know you're at about a five-year-old mentality level. It's time to reconcile these things. It's time to get over these things. And it is surprises us. It's surprising that people that, that are offering a religious sacrifice, this is Christian people. These are people that profess a relationship with God, would rather hold on to their grudge than to offer their gifts to God. Well, Jesus, you said that if I have all against my brother, that I should leave my gift at the altar before I sacrifice it and go make it right with my brother. Well, I don't plan on making it right with my brother, so I'll take my gift and I'll go home. I told you it was a hard Bible study. But everybody in this room can think about somebody that there's probably ought between you and them. I hope not. Somehow we have to get that reconciled. Now, does that mean that person will accept forgiveness? Maybe not. You can't control what that person does. You may not be able to control that situation. In fact, in some cases, it may be impossible to go back now and reconcile that difference. Uh, I know of a situation where somebody has tremendous guilt because somebody has passed away. And now it is impossible to reconcile that difference with somebody. But understand, we at least need to reconcile it with yourself. But somehow we've got to get over the offenses of yesterday that we can go on with our, with our relationship with God, that we can go on to where God wants us to be. That our relationship with God doesn't get bogged down and stymied because of, a, of, of unreconciled differences. Next week, uh, the Lord's will in the creek don't rise. We're going to begin to talk about how to do it. The pathway to do uh, just what we've been talking about, reconcile our differences. Praise the Lord. Don't go anywhere. Uh, we